Hello to everyone tuning in to the Highly Optimized Podcast today. My name is Ryan Sprague, and throughout this podcast, I will be showcasing individuals who are living a life beat to their own drum, sharing their stories, and revealing their valuable information for you listeners on how you can effectively take life into your own control, what steps to take to create your own path, and how to maximize your results in manifesting your dreams in this reality. Gracing the show with her presence today is a woman who truly exemplifies what it means to conquer your fears, enjoy the journey of life, and become better as a result of the challenges we all face in life. She holds a master's in education from Adelphi University, is a certified world-class life coach, shadow coach, and empowered parenting coach, having trained with industry juggernauts such as Paul Check and Debbie Ford, and is the best-selling author behind the book, Bigger, Better, Braver. Conquer your fears, embrace your courage, and transform your life, in which she empowers the reader with firsthand knowledge of how to override our fears, bust through our excuses, and go for our dreams. So, without further ado, please help me in welcoming Nancy Picard to the show. Hello, Nancy. How are you? Great. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, you know, being in a clubhouse room with you on podcasting, I had to come correct with the intro, you know, and it's my favorite part of the episode as well. <laughs> oh, thank you. It was great. I love hearing it. I'm just sitting back saying, woo, sounds good. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that's actually why I love the intro so much, because my goal is to make the interviewee go, whoa, I did all that, you know, because so often, especially as entrepreneurs, we forget to celebrate our wins or we just do so much that we honestly forget where we've come from. And you have such an incredible journey that I'm so excited to share with the listeners today that I had to you know, give you that reminder. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, I know you've had a very long journey and you've done a lot of amazing things. So what I'd really like to start out with is showcasing some of the highlights, right? Because you've gone through a lot in your life and you've come out better on the other side. You've braved those challenges and gotten through them. And so I really want to showcase that. And I want to showcase to the listeners, you know, really some of the highlights of that journey and what actually allowed you to get through that and who you became on the other side of those challenges. Okay. I'll give you my best shot. Let's do it. So the major drama in my life was that I was married 26 years, really happily married, built this great family. And when that fell apart, I totally fell apart. And it took me a really long time to pick myself up. And basically what happened after being married for 26 years, I was very other referenced, which means that I saw myself the way my husband saw me. So if he no longer wanted me, then There had to be something wrong with me. I no longer wanted me. I was no longer good enough. Mm. And so it took me a long time to really pick myself up from that and remember who I was, remember the essence of who I had always been and that I had lost in always trying to pick him up and better him and be his cheerleader. And I got lost in that. I became so selfless and disappeared. And so I understand that that's a big part of it. And I just didn't have the tools to move on. And then later on, a few years later, maybe six or seven years later, I had fixed that picture and I was now engaged again and living with a man. And when that fell apart, I finally realized, wait a minute, it can't just be the men. There is some lesson that the universe wants from me that I'm not learning. And I need to do my work and figure it out, or I'm going to be here again. Because that's one thing I know is that when you don't learn the lessons that the universe gives you, it gives you a bigger one and a bigger one and a bigger one until you finally get it. You know, so I basically say, I'm listening, universe. Give me all the small ones. My eyes are open. My ears are open. And I'll catch on right away. So at that point, I actually got myself a Healing Your Heart coach, which is one of the many certifications in the Ford Institute from Debbie Ford. And as soon as I read the book, I decided that I wanted to get myself a Debbie Ford coach and I was going to become a Debbie Ford coach. That was basically about 10 years ago, eight or nine certifications later. I'm now a master coach. I've written my own book and I've evolved over and over and over again so that I can't tell you Like you don't see where you're going. You can't know where you're going. I still don't know where this is going to take me. And 
to to younger people to the your to people your age i'm i'm old already right but i'm not i have so much more to give and so much further to go and so i don't know where that journey is going to go but for me the journey was really to know that i had a lot of gifts to give and a lot to share and i wasn't living as big as i needed to live i wasn't utilizing the gifts you know, I was, I, I, for nine years, I just played. I moved to Aspen, Colorado, which for an athlete is like, you know, it's a candy store on steroids, yeah. basically. And I hiked and I biked and I went to yoga and I did all three in a day. And I did that for nine years. And finally, I realized there has to be more. I am not, I'm, I have to do more. I have to be more. And I have to get, I have to. Slowly, I learned that the only thing that stops you is your own fears. And those fears are based in childhood beliefs. They're not real. They're not who you are. And as you uncover those beliefs and those the disempowering beliefs and your fears, you get to take fear by the hand and move forward. And so I say yes to everything. And I mean, I have really funny stories with my kids about like, mom, what do you mean you can't do that? You wrote a book about being brave. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, so like they have me doing every single thing. It's just, that's it. I say yes. I say yes. That's beautiful. And what an amazing journey. And thank you for taking us down there because it really, it brought up a lot. And I wrote some notes really on and the first thing was the subject of surrender, right? And what a gift and lesson that is to learn, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I surrender. You know, life is happening for me. So what's the lesson I learn here? And that I have the opportunity to learn here. And the second part was mystery, right? Like, you know, you were saying, like, I don't know where I go from here, right? And I think that's honestly a part where in my journey, I really became aware of, oh, the mystery is the fun part, right? Because for a long time, I focused on where am I going? Like, it's this anxious feeling. And what I came to realize was actually it's that. That mystery that makes life worth living. And so it's almost like, I don't want to open my Christmas presents before Christmas morning. You know, right, we all made right. that mistake once as kids, you know, and it just ruins it. And I think that's so beautiful. And you were saying, you know, one of the, one of the things I love is language, right. And changing out our language. And one of the things that you were saying was like, you know, you have to do these things. Right. And what I was going to say to that too, is like, I, I used to say have to, and, and I changed it to get to, because really when you become the creator, mm-hmm. which you are 100% in that role, you get get to do things, right? You get to choose what you want to do and have that freedom. And, you know, one thing you mentioned about fears really made me think of this quote that one of my mentors taught me. And it's, it's something I say to myself every time I find myself in a fearful state, right? Which is if you laugh at the devil, he will run away. Right. And I always think of that typical cartoon of the person walking down the alleyway at night and there's this big shadow coming and then it ends up being a little house cat, you know, and and that's like a great metaphor for our fears. Right. Because fear can either be, you know, uh, forget everything and run or face everything and rise. You know, we get to be that. And one of the things I'm curious on, because I know you face these challenges and you've also written books and done a lot of research into this and have a lot of training on this subject. You know, what do you think it is about some people that allow them to have challenges make them and other people have challenges break them? Like, what are some trends you've seen maybe in clients or with yourself that, you know, you've noticed are maybe deciding factors, right? Or compounding factors and allowing someone's fears to either make them or break them? You know, Ryan, that's a great question. Hmm. I'm not sure I have the perfect answer, <laughs> but I know that I'm driven. Mm. All right. So I'm driven to be more, to do more. And I have self-confidence and self-love in myself. And I think when you don't have that, you you can't move forward. You're stuck in the muck. And so I have compassion for those people, but I recognize that they can learn to love themselves by Chunking down, doing small, actionable steps, one after another, staying in alignment and proving to themselves that they can stay in alignment with their word. Until they do that, they won't ever be able to step out of where they are. And so they're in the victim mode. And I think it's been really big for me as a life coach to learn that None of us are victims, that everything that happens happens for us and not to us, and that we have co-created everything. So when you just mentioned before acceptance, well, acceptance and surrender 
are not about giving up. They're about saying, all right, this is where I am today. I just got divorced or I just lost my job or I just lost my home or I have no money or I'm, I'm physically in the worst shape of my life. That's where I am today. I accept that that's where I am today. I surrender. I'm not fighting it. This is my starting point. Mm. And this is where I'm going from here. And this is how I change it. So when you stay in resistance, it's like the salmon that you're always going against the flow of the, the river. You will never get there. But when you just lay on your back and you go with the flow down the river, that's when you can make change. So the people who don't change, they stay in resistance. They stay the victim. They don't see how they co-created it. And that's my job. My job is to help you see how you co-created it, even if it's the beliefs that you have. Like I've had clients that have gotten into relationships with pure sociopaths. And it's very hard with a sociopath to see how you had anything to do with it. And you're being naive. You're just getting out of a 30-year marriage and bringing that person into your life. That was your co-creation. And I can promise you that you will never be sucked in by another sociopath. So it was who you were at the time that made that happen. And that could be your only co-creation, but that's exactly how you co-created it. Did I answer your oh, question? Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> you know, and and we share a lot of similarities and we're going to have to nerd out sometime on, uh, you know, a lot of coaching stuff because, you know, a modality that I learned was story work, right? It's like, what story mm-hmm. are you telling yourself about yourself, right? And language goes right. right along with that. And I love what you were saying because really it's, you know, the three-step process of awareness, acceptance, surrender, right? Like, yeah. okay, I notice, I I feel, right? Like I accept it. And then I surrender, I move through it and I realize, okay, you know what, where do I go from here? And what I tell everyone, because I've gone through this too, and I imagine you have as well, is that accountability stings for about 30 seconds and the other side is always worth it because on the other side of that is like immense freedom, right? And for anyone listening, like wondering like, well, what's that feel like? Like, just imagine anytime you've been in an argument, right? And even if you like, quote unquote, know you're right and you technically are right, whatever right really is, right? But you decide, okay, you know what? This is silly. You know, we're having a great day. It's not worth arguing. And you just say, hey, to your partner, to your friend, you know, I'm really sorry if, you know, we're having a disagreement, blah, blah, blah. And you guys patch it, right? Like that accountability that you took of like your position or your part in the argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it might sting, right? It might feel awkward to your ego. But the second after that, you have a whole day now, a whole lifetime essentially of now happiness, you know? And and I'm curious because one of the things I love chatting about with other coaches and people that are into personal development is why they got into, you know, entrepreneurship really, right? And looking into your background, I mean, you've been an entrepreneur for a long time, you know, doing personal training, then moving into coaching and really doing coaching at the same time. Because I imagine, you know, if it's like most uh, personal training type things, you end up being their quote unquote therapist long before you're actually titled their coach or therapist. And so I'm curious, you know, what originally led you to get into entrepreneurship? Because it's a path not for everyone, but the people it's for, it's all they usually want. And so I'm curious to hear that. We opened up, my ex-husband and I had built this amazing gym. And while we were getting ready to build it, and I saw how big it was going to be, I mean, truly gorgeous Cybex gym that would outdo regular gyms. I decided that I was going to go and become a coach. I was going to become a, a personal trainer. And so that just sort of evolved. And I did that for 16 years. And it was amazing. I mean, it was so much fun because everybody, we lived in a neighborhood where literally everyone became my clients. I would have the men early in the morning at 630 in the morning, and I would end with men or or teachers like at five o'clock at night. And then in between, I would do, I did groups of small training groups of women who would never have paid for a personal trainer, but now they were coming in groups together. And then in the afternoon, I had teenage girls or teenage guys. So it was unbelievable. Everybody came to me and I was selling these, the name of my gym was called Tight Ends Incorporated and it had little like people on them, all the, you know, (laughs) and I would sell my t-shirts and my sweatshirts. And then my sons would have parties. And give out 
hundreds of shirts. <laughs> I would see my shirts on people like people's gardeners. Like I would see them on everybody in the town. It was the funniest thing. And I'm thinking I would pass a kid and I'm thinking, who are you? Like, how did you get that shirt? <laughs> so that's, that's just started it. And then to be a coach, there is no other way you, you end up becoming a coach and then then you have to build a business and the business takes up as much time as the coaching, if not more. And then the social media is like a life of its own and the learning. I mean, I'm older. And so the learning has been huge for me. And even me getting on um, Clubhouse, when I first got on Clubhouse, like day one, I thought, I'm too old for this. And then I thought that's such bull, right? Like you're not too old for anything and you have a lot to say. And then I just like, I just went to all the clubhouse one-on-ones and within a week I was like asking, talking. And then I was realizing in all of the rooms that were talking about coaching, I'm a master coach. Like I know what, I know my stuff. Right. Yeah. And so that's it. And I moderate four rooms now and it's just, I think that um, when I turned 60, now it's out there, that ugly number, but I'm, that wasn't even so bad. That, now it looks pretty good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but when I turned 60, I knew I needed to do something to prove to myself that I still had it, right? Mm. You got this, girl. You can do anything. And I went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, which is a big deal because I didn't even like to travel alone. So now <laughs> I was traveling alone. I was going to Africa. I was joining a group of people I didn't know, and I was climbing to 19,341 feet. And so that was me proving to myself that there is nothing in the world you can't do. And so I say to everyone that I talk to, like, what's your Kilimanjaro? Hmm. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to climb that mountain. But what does your mountain look like? Are you in a relationship that sucks and you want to get out of it? You know, have you wanted to lose 20 pounds for the last 20 years? Do you want a different job? Like, what's what's it going to take to get you off the couch? That's what I want to know. And what's it going to take for you to love yourself and recognize that the only thing that's stopping you is you and that voice inside, that inner critic inside of you? You know, that's it. That's what's stopping you. And that's my joy and my pleasure to help people uncover everything that's in your subconscious that's keeping you playing small. Yes, that was beautifully said. Very poetic. And it's incredible to know you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. I mean, that's incredible at any age, you know, and uh, and especially going there alone too. Uh, I have a friend whose wife does the 14ers in Colorado and some of yeah. her, some of her like videos literally give me sweaty palms just watching them. So you guys are amazing. <laughs> I do 14ers. That's wow. how I trained to go do. Yeah. Oh, that's I mean, cool. This is a 14er plus 5,000 more, right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You would, uh, you would love Julia. I'll have to connect you too. Uh, mm-hmm. She's really cool. And, uh, you know, we've talked about self-love a couple times, right? And this is a cliche term now. It's thrown around a lot. And, and I feel as though most people understand what it means here. It's like, yeah, love yourself, right? But until you experience it here, right? Until you actually feel what self-love is past like the, you know, treating yourself or giving yourself a day, you know, how do you really define self-love? Like, I mean, for you, how do you know at the, when you're going to bed at night that you showed yourself self-love, right? And 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 really, this could be a, a quality, right? Not necessarily a quantity, right? You can't necessarily measure, okay, yeah, I gave myself 64 units of self-love today, right? But I'm curious, you know, what are some cues for you that you would give someone that of maybe what they should feel or what they could feel if they're successfully giving themselves self-love? I think that, If you stay in alignment with everything you've promised yourself, you will love yourself. That's how you love yourself. That's the main way. Now, there are other things you can do. When I wake up in the morning before I get out of bed, I say, what's the most self-honoring thing I can do for myself today? And maybe it's having a massage. Maybe it's calling the doctor that I've been putting off. Maybe it's under over-exercising or under-exercising. Like for me, I'm an over-exerciser. So for me, taking a day off 
is actually showing self-love where for somebody else getting out and running three miles would be self-love. So it's honoring what you need and it's getting out of autopilot on a daily basis and checking in to see what it is you need. It's about setting healthy boundaries with yourself and other people so that you become a, a priority in your own life. And if you don't do those things, you are not going to love yourself. So when I first started in this work, I said, yeah, I love myself. Like, yeah, because I have like a pretty good sense of self, but it's really different than staying in total alignment with everything you commit to yourself. Mm. When you actually know that if you tell yourself, this is what you're going to do today, that you're going to do it. That's how you love yourself. That's perfect. And I really feel you just articulated the missing component of affirmations, right? Because people wrongly assume, and I was one of these people, I wrongly assumed that just by saying the affirmations or the mantras that I would get what was said in them, right? So for instance, you know, I trust myself. Well, that's only going to actually come true if you do the things in alignment with your highest good and trusting yourself, right? So if you just say, I trust myself, and then you decide to eat Cheetos and, you know, do whatever, then it's not going to magically come true. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused on these things, right? Because I've had so many clients, especially men too, they're like, what, I'm just going to say this thing and it's going to come true. And I'm like, no, but it is going to start to create a new story that if you decide to be an active participant in that, in that new story will come true. Right. And, uh, you know, for me, how I see self-love and where it starts is the heart, right? And the subject of the heart is one that is talked about a lot today in the world of coaching and personal development. And I'd love to hear you explain in your own words what you feel the heart is, how we can go about healing it, and what is possible, what can be possible on the other side of that healing. You asked some really good questions, Ryan. (laughs) Thank you, Nancy. (laughs) That's a huge compliment coming from Nancy because she has amazing, (laughs) amazing experience as a podcast guest. And you got to join her rooms. They're really good on Clubhouse. Just and, they're, and they're fun. So <laughs> they're super come. fun. Yes. So, oh, I got to remember the question. So what is hard to me? And yeah. what else was the other part of that question? Yeah. So like, what is hard to you? How can we go about healing it? Maybe what are some ways mm-hmm. you've remediated your heart after your divorce, after like, yeah. you know, maybe not showing up for yourself in part of your life, uh, and then showing up for yourself fully in the other part of your life. And then also what is possible or what's been possible for you to make it more personal on the other side of healing your heart? So healing your heart is about recognizing that it's a co-creation and actually finding the gifts and the lessons in what happened. Mm -hmm. So when you find the gifts and you find the lessons that, that the universe wanted for you, then you can move forward. So the work in healing it is starting with acceptance and surrender, seeing what your part was seeing what it cost you, seeing what the gifts were, taking into the future the parts that you need, letting go of the parts that no longer serve you. And then from that place of surrender, starting back up again. And when you do that and you take the lessons with you, you start to recognize that your life is waiting for you and you don't have to know where it's going. You just have to have faith that the universe has your back and that everything is going to happen for the evolution of your soul. So this is the biggest part for me, Ryan. It's not that I'm not going to fall, but how long I stay down is on me. We all fall. Mm -hmm. How long you stay down and how long it takes you. Like the minute something happens to me, I, I can wallow. I'll give myself like a 24 hours that, you know, I failed or something didn't work out the way I wanted or somebody hurt me or something happened. And then I immediately, I immediately try to switch over to, all right, what can I learn here? So that failure becomes a stepping stone. It doesn't just become a failure and there you are, you're done, right? It's <laughs> yes. a stepping stone. How do I pick up from here and where do I go next? So the more you fall and fail and pick yourself up and move on, the more resilient you become. And so you know that that's going to happen. Like I, one time years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a very wealthy man who had made millions and lost millions many times in his life. And we were talking about somebody else we knew who was born with a silver spoon and had millions of dollars 
but basically it was just the lucky sperm, right? Mm -hmm. Bank. And (laughs) that man was more afraid of losing his money because he'd never really made it than this man who knew he could make it and lose it and make it and lose it. And he knew he could count on him and his own resources. That's how it is when you fall and things happen and you pick yourself up and you're resilient and you move on. You know, deep in your heart that you have that. And so actually Kilimanjaro for me was just one more reaffirming you can do anything. That's amazing. And, you know, it's so funny because uh, I've had clients before, especially in the entrepreneurial space that get excited about an idea they have, they share it and then it gets stolen. Right. And they come to me like, my idea got stolen. And I'm like, listen, the person that stole it is the one that you should pray for, right? Because they're the ones that needed it. You're the idea creator, right? You can just go create another idea. And that was a perfect like similarity to the, to the uh, subject right. you just said about that man who was really nervous about losing his money versus the one who was like, Hey, I can, if I lose it, I'll, I'll get it again. You know, I'm not worried about it. Right. Exactly. And yeah. And you know, something else that, you know, I, that I wrote down when you were talking was, the longer you stay down, the longer you allow yourself rather to stay down is a really good awareness once again of maybe a very disempowering inner critic story playing, right? Because the faster you can get back up, like, you know, when a kid falls, right, they look at their parents to see like, is this something I should worry about, right? And if you just, you know, it's fine, you're good, right? They're going to get up and keep playing, right? I'm really like getting at here is that we each have the opportunity to be the best parent for ourselves possible. And like, think about it just like a a mother and son or a mother and daughter or a father and son or father and daughter, you know, really like the more that we can, you know, allow them to see like, Hey, that, that time you fell down, like that made you better because next time now, you know, not to do that because it's going to allow, it's going to give that result. And that's something for me that really has allowed me to step forth because it's just like going to the gym and breaking down muscle, right? Like we break down muscle so it can rebuild stronger. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, uh, Akira, the Dawn song that I love. And it's, uh, it's got Jocko Willink who is, who wrote, uh, I forget the book off, uh, it's like unstoppable or something like that. But the whole song is basically him saying like things that have happened to him, like, Oh, you got divorced. Good. You got this happen to you. Good. Right. Like whatever happens, you get to be the one who decides what it means because we are right. the creator. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that's happened and due to the illusion of separation, you know, from, from source, from the universe, whatever you want to call it from God is that we are victimized by our life, right. Rather than the creator of that. And, you know, for me, one of the things that gave, that set me up for success was my parents, right. Because they allowed me to see that at an early age. I didn't pick it up right away, but you know, in hindsight, when I look back, I'm like, oh wow, they actually, they really did that, (laughs) you know? And I'm curious, you know, being a parent yourself and coaching other parents on becoming great parents, I'd love to hear some of the main takeaways you've discovered along that journey with regards to what it takes to truly be considered a great parent to either yourself, your kids, or anything really in life. It's really interesting because the way I grandparent is very different than the way I parented Mm. because I've learned a lot more tools. So I was like a helicopter mom on some levels. You know, first day of high school, um, my older son, let's just say day one, forgot something at home and called me and had me bring it to him. Well, then I had eight years of that between my two sons. (laughs) So I was probably going to school every single day. Had I been the kind of mom to say on day one, well, that's too bad. Tomorrow you won't forget it. They wouldn't have forgotten it. But instead, for eight years, I was going to the one office or another almost every day. So I didn't teach my children that. And so what I tell my parenting children, uh, parents now, is to help your children fail, fail often, try a few million things, see what sticks. You want them to have a growth mindset and not a fixed mindset. You So I also think stop telling them how smart they are or how great they are. And instead of embrace, you were so brave today. Or how did you fail today? What did you do today that made you fail? This is what I did today that I failed. And this is what I learned. So tomorrow I'm going to try it again. So it's a different mindset. When my grandchildren call me and they'll say to me, Nana, 
I was bigger, better, braver today. And that's what I want to hear all the time. You know, one of them was surfing. She's six years old and she was surfing in Costa Rica and she hit her head on the board coming up from the water and she was crying, but she's giving the thumbs up to her father. When she got off the beach at the end, she said, daddy, I was really scared, but I was bigger, better, braver. (laughs) That's what you want your children to do. And so you want your children to know that the juice is in the journey. It's not in the end game. It's not in the success. It's the joy all along. And so just stop being goal oriented. So I will have to say, do as I do, not as I say, or do as I say, not as I did, because we were very goal oriented. My sons (laughs) say the only thing they remember about growing up was the resume, the resume, the resume. You know, you have to be four years in the band and you can't quit a sport and you can't quit anything you start. And, you know, what are you doing? What what um, philanthropic things are you doing? Because you need all of this on your resume. Like I was driven (laughs) and, you know, they're both great, successful kids, but they could have been great, successful kids and it could have been more chill. I, you know, I love that. And, you know, Carol Dweck talks a lot about that in her book mindset, you know, about how Mm -hmm. like praising kids like, wow, you really worked hard today rather than, wow, you're so talented. Right. And it changes everything because really talent in the real world, right. Is not worth nearly as much as grit. Right. And grit is the ability to no matter what persevere. Right. It's resilience and resiliency is really, in my opinion, one of the biggest like values and qualities you can have as a human being. Right. Because if you're resilient, it doesn't matter what happens. You know, you're like, I got this. I know who I am and I know I can move through this. And, you know, one of the things I noticed about you immediately upon meeting you was the seemingly endless fountain of passion you have for life, your family and your business. And because passion is another term, which is thrown around a lot these days, what do you feel it takes to cultivate passion in one's life? And what are some clues in the external world that someone can look to in order to know that this passion is being cultivated in their life? I think that passion causes a lot of problems for a lot of people. I have clients that come to me and say, I'm not, I have no passion. I'm not passionate about anything. And they see that as something's wrong with them which isn't necessarily true. But I will also say that sometimes we don't get quiet enough to hear what our heart wants for us. Mm. So another way to think about being and having passion is watching when you're in flow, watching when things feel like you're exactly where you should be. And that when you're in the flow, the universe actually supports you. And sends you gifts so that for me, I know my book is exactly what I should be doing because I have gotten so many amazing, my book has won two awards and I was an international bestseller in the first week and I've had all of these amazing things happen. Plus, like I spoke to an astrologer and she told me that, you know, you have self-evolved for the first time in any of your lives and you are doing exactly what you should be doing. And I thought, oh, that's amazing. Like things like that. So I think the passion is, can be great if you have it, but if you don't have it, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It may just mean you haven't found your thing. It may just mean you're not getting quiet enough to know what you're passionate about, Mm -hmm. but, but pay attention because when you have an idea or a thought, or you're doing something that feels right, and you start to see that there are no coincidences. So when things start to happen that feel like they're coming your way, that is the universe letting you know you're on the right track. That is what you are passionate about. Follow it. Yes. And the way that I always say it to people is, you know, what can your unique set of fingerprints do that no one that has ever walked the earth or will ever walk the earth can do, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, what I've found is that passion is cultivated through trial and error, right? And that's what you were talking about earlier, you know, with your sons, if you could go back and do it again, you let them just try whatever, right? And give up on something if they, you know, if they got sick of it. And I think this is where a lot of people get hung up. Rather, this is where I got hung up, right? Because if I started something, I had to finish it, right? 
And a lot of times what that does is it keeps you more in your head. And that is like, I would say one of the main challenges of specifically Western societies is that so many of us are stuck up in our head that we don't even know anything else exists, right? We're so left brained that that's mm-hmm. all that exists. And uh, so that's a very interesting subject that I love chatting about because for people that have found their passion, right? They all, most of them that I've talked about agree on one thing. It's like, I didn't just wake up one day and know exactly what I was going to do. I, you know, I started experimenting and then I started getting what I call downloads from the universe and I started connecting to the divine. And then it was like playing a warmer, colder game, right? With the universe. Like, okay, you're getting warmer. Oh, that's a little colder. Okay. You're getting warmer, very warm, you know, and that's something that's so cool. And, you know, this leads in perfectly because the subject I'm most excited to talk to you about is your book, Bigger, Better, Braver, Conquer Your Fears, Embrace Your Courage and Transform Your Life. And first off, you know, I really want to know what prompted you to write the book. Like what was the the path to get you there? What was the point at which you decided, okay, I'm going to write this book? I think when I decided to go climb Kilimanjaro, I had been a personal trainer for 16 years. And so when I started to train for this, I thought I was going to write a book. I started looking for books for women in their 60s climbing Kilimanjaro. There were very few. (laughs) So I first thought I was just going to write a how-to book. You know, how to climb, how to train, what to bring, all of that stuff. So I have like 45 pages that have never been used. That was going to be the book. And then another coach sat down with me one day when we were talking about it. She said, no, you can't write a book like that. Make it a tra- a coaching book. Like, how are you living that life? What's your Kilimanjaro was what her idea was. And then I realized as I got going that... um only people who want to climb Kilimanjaro are ever going to buy a book that's called What's Your Kilimanjaro, right? <laughs> so that could not be the title of the book. But I knew that I'm a life coach. And so not everybody can afford one-on-one coaching. And then I, so I wrote this book because number one, it's a how-to. It's 10 chapters with exercises and meditations and my life stories and those of my clients so that if you only want to spend $18 and that's all the money you can spend on self-help, you can buy the book. If you want to spend a little bit more, you could buy my evergreen course. I think it's like $45 and it's 11 or 12 audio lessons and a workbook. And then you have, it's a deeper dive. Or I take that same course, but I add 12 Zoom group sessions. So that's more money. Again, it's still not as expensive as if you did the one-on-one coaching. And so I, I I believe I'm passionate about this work. I believe in it. And I wanted everybody. I wanted, I, I wanted, there was no excuse for anybody not to be able to do the work and whatever level they wanted to. So that's, that's how that happened. I love that, you know, and it's so cool too, because really what you're saying is, Hey, if you're serious, you know, I'm offering you this and you can take it and run with it. Right. And, and I love that idea of having the direct experience exercises in there because one of my favorite quotes that Paul says all the time, life is not an observation sport. Right. And I think for me, a lot of the time what happened when I was first getting into self-development is I would read the books and besides maybe Joe Dispenza, they wouldn't have a lot of exercises in them. So I would read Mm -hmm. them and I thought that I got them right. And then things were still showing up in my life on conscious patterns, you know, uh, limiting beliefs, all these things. And I realized it was because, yeah, I was knowing it once again up here, but I wasn't actually having the direct experience of what I was learning. And so therefore I was, you know, doomed to fall right back into the same patterns. And so with that, if you could have your perfect scenario, right? Say someone reads your book and they get the exact result you want. What would you say that result is? How do you want them to feel at the end of your book? I want them to love themselves because they moved forward. They didn't let fear keep them stuck. They trusted that whatever was going to happen was going to happen for the evolution of their soul. And now they were amazed at the change. Mm -hmm. They did the thing that they were afraid to do. And not only did they do that thing, but the way it makes them feel about themselves for doing that thing is exactly what I want people to get out of it. 
Oh, that's amazing. And it shows that you've really thought this out, right? And, and why I say that is because one of the things I found the most beneficial for anything I want to accomplish in life is write it out in past tense, right? Write it out as if it's already happened. So like asking mm-hmm. yourself the question, how do I want people to feel at the end of this book, right? How do I want to feel at the end of writing this book? I mean, that is really, in my opinion, how we actually manifest things, right? We actually write them out in, in, in past tense and we reread them to ourselves, right? And we slowly become that new identity. And I love that. And, you know, in the book, you speak of the importance of discovering immense love for oneself and the opportunity of being able to live a bigger life as a result. And I'd love if you could share with the listeners some of the ways you've been able to discover this immense love for yourself and what the payoff that self-love has been for your own life. I think that one of the payoffs is that I am much calmer and less reactive. I have truly become the observer of my life and not the reactor. And that probably my partner and my sons and everyone in my life will be is grateful for that change because it's huge. So I use my life as a laboratory. I look to see where my triggers are and why is that person triggering me? What's the quality I haven't seen, you know, I need to look at in myself. So I'm always using my life to work on me. And it's not a one and done. It's like the muscle at the gym. I mean, it's like over and over again. I peel away one layer of the onion after another. And you're not every day is perfect. You know, you, you're not you don't have it all together to be a life coach. I, that I can tell you. You know, I'm a mentor. I train coaches to become coaches and they'll they'll think, well, I can't be a coach because I, I still have all this crap going on in my own life. What I do say is you're always going to have crap in your own life. But what you do have to do is you have to be able to keep yourself accountable because if you can't hold yourself accountable, how can you ask others to hold themselves accountable? So Because I hold myself accountable, I do love myself and I might fall and I might fail and I'm still going to have stuff come up in my life. But I recognize that I'm on a journey and so is everybody in my family and so are all my friends. And so I don't have to take on other people's journeys. I don't have to try to save anybody anymore. I don't have to be afraid for anybody because whether they fall or not, that's their journey. And that has all really changed the way I parent, the way I live my life. And it's given me a much greater source of peace. And all of that together has added to my own self-love and self-confidence and self-compassion. And it's all divine, right? Like you were talking about, you know, if someone falls, good, right? Like that was what was meant to happen at that time. And they have an opportunity at that point to either allow that to make them or allow it to break them, right? And regardless, you know, my my firm belief on it is that we're infinite beings, right? So we have infinite carnations to figure this out, right? Incarnations. Right, right. And, And so it's like, you know, I got this analogy actually one time during a plant medicine ceremony where, you know, we think of life as this all encompassing experience because that is the illusion it's supposed to be, right? If we remembered everything right from the start, it really wouldn't be the game it is. But when you escape the parallels of linear time and you go up into the ether, right? Our lives go by like you're flipping through an encyclopedia, right? right? And and the analogy I got was that every single lifetime we live, we're shaving another edge off of a diamond, a rough diamond. And then mm-hmm. there's one life or one destiny that's our greatest and grandest. And so that's like become my obsession is, okay, how do I make this incarnation my greatest and grandest? And in that, what I've realized is just what you were saying, the, the things that I once perceived as bad are actually the best parts because I'm like, oh my goodness, like I realized that this didn't work and I'm okay with that. That means that I must be getting closer to the greatest and grandest because in the greatest and grandest, nothing is bad, right? Everything has its purpose. And I love that, you know, and, you know, I love this concept you have of a bigger life, right? Because it's something that I've never described it that way, but I've always thought of like when I'm, uh, you know, meditating or doing breath work or just really living right after doing the work and and continuing to do the work that my that my life has gotten bigger and i'd love to hear in your words what you define like a bigger life to be so that if someone's listening they might be able to go oh actually yeah i'm experiencing that and they might be able to celebrate that win yeah i think a bigger life is that you're that you're actually not letting your fears keep you playing small so the way you feel about yourself is what makes it a bigger life you actually are taking opportunities, you're saying yes, and 
I've said this so many times, I'm tired of hearing it. <laughs> you stay in alignment with what you, you're going to do. And the way to do it is to chunk it down, start small. You want to lose 30 pounds, start with wanting to lose five pounds. You know, you want to move to another city, start by researching, like just chunk it down so that there's steps that you can take and they're specific and measurable and achievable and realistic and time-based and then follow through. And every time you follow through, you're going to love yourself a little bit more and your life is going to get bigger. So bigger, better is by being braver. Yes, that's beautiful. And, you know, what really like struck me during this is that for me, like what bigger has always been is exactly what you described, right? Braver and all these things. And, and to me, I just see like the regression of becoming a child again in an adult's body, like laughing more, playing more, you know, using a toy. And when I'm done with it, being like, okay, cool. On to the next one. Right. So if I start a hobby or something and it's like, man, this didn't work out the way there's no like, oh my God, I'm this, I'm that. It's just, okay, that didn't work out. Good. Right. right. And next. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Something we talked about a little bit during the episode that I know was in your book too, is the subject of the unconscious in general. We can get into like unconscious beliefs, unconscious patterns, et cetera. But it's, it, you know, the unconscious is something that's talked about frequently, you know, in the modern day world, especially in self-development and is a subject you speak about at length in the book. And being is how the unconscious is just that. It's unconscious. What have been some of your favorite tools and exercises to bring the unconscious into the conscious? Well, so I'm a shadow coach. That's mm -hmm. what I do. Like if you hire me, that's what we work on. And the way we do it is I explain the concepts. And then I take you into a meditative state and I ask you, we call it an internal process. I ask you very specific sequential questions so that you start to see like, where is the discrepancy between where you are right now and where you say you want to be? Then they talk about that. And then what are the feelings that come up for you around that? And then when else have you felt that way? And I get you all the way back down to under the age of 10 where either there was a specific incident that happened or a pattern of a family, you know, your family of origin patterns of things you've heard that you made a belief about yourself or you then made a commitment. So I can give you an example from my life if you want. Yeah. So when I was 45, I was in a car accident on my way to St. Helena to visit my son. Mm. And I ended up with PTSD for weeks from that. And I was working with a shadow coach and she said, I think that there's like some part of your subpersonality that got really shaken up from that accident. Let's do a process around it. And we did. And what came out was that I saw myself at five years old, which is when I had been playing with a lighter and put my body on fire. Mm. And that was like the last time I almost died. And this was now the next time, 45 years later, that I almost died. And she said to me, what does that little girl want you to know? And so I'm sitting there with my eyes closed and I'm waiting. And I said, she wants me to know I'm not safe alone. Mm. Perfect thing for a little girl who just put herself on fire was to decide, you're right, you're not safe alone. So these shadow beliefs are actually made to keep us safe. They're formed early in our life to keep us safe. I'll stay quiet so I won't get hurt. Or my voice doesn't matter so I don't speak up. Or I'm broken or I'm stupid or I can't, you know, so I'm stupid so I won't speak so people won't know. I mean, there's a million of them. And they're made to keep us safe as children. But what happens is that eventually they stop keeping us safe. So for me, the belief that I'm not safe alone when I got divorced was no longer helping me. Mm. It actually really hurt me. And the moment I did that work and uncovered that belief, it changed everything about me being by myself. And so that's my shadow belief. My underlying commitment is basically the strategy that like this adaptive child came up with. And that strategy was to never be alone. So I became like the perfect girlfriend. I had a boyfriend from 13 to 65, right? <laughs> and I had a lot of friends. That was my strategy so that I would never be alone. 
And so it worked. And there were a lot of gifts in that, but it also eventually ended up costing me more than it gave me. Mm. Yeah, there was a point of diminishing return, right? Like there was a point where it started actually hindering your development rather than expanding it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, I've been trained in a very similar type of modality. It sounds like same, same, but different. And, you know, some of the, I just actually went to a retreat a couple months ago where I got put through what they call hot seats, you know, and, and they get you up there. It's very similar to like gestalt therapy and very similar to the shadow work you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting what comes out, you know, I had a couple things come out that really allowed me to see why my father passing triggered so many different, you know, unconscious beliefs to reemerge. Right. right. And then why the go, go, go pattern got reinstalled in me. Right. Because I was trying to hide and run from it. Right. And that's why I had addictive tendencies with food right. and all these things. And also was able to see why or, or how I was able to become addicted to these things without me knowing, right? Because I had told myself, okay, well, I'm not using drugs. I'm not drinking. So I guess I can't be addicted to anything, right? But like you mentioned earlier, I was also working out doing, yeah, doing two a days every day for, you know, six days a week, seven days a week for, yeah, for years and always wondering, why do I have tendinitis? You know, am I dying? And then that gets it an addiction. And uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting once I became aware of that, to watch all of that happening, you know, to watch like the mind do that and, you know, become the observer in that situation. And what a gift, right? Because the things that we heal in ourselves and become aware of in ourselves, I mean, really we're all spitting images of one another, you know, and we all have trauma, you know, and, and the ability for us to be able to help other people, you know, you were talking about it earlier, you know, a lot of coaches and I was one of these coaches feel, oh, if I still have things to figure out, then who am I? Right. But really who am I is someone relatable, right? Like, you know, what, what never works. And I'm careful to say binary language, but I feel it's acknowledged and accepted in this situation. What never works is the coach who seems perfect. That's just unrelatable, right? Everyone's going to, their ego is going to get triggered. They're going to now all of a sudden try to hide things from that coach. And it just starts a vicious cycle, you know? And I live, I use, all of my examples. I don't use any examples that are still hot in the moment, yeah. right? <laughs> this, like you're paying me, I'm not going to come to you and talk about my stuff. Yeah. But I, like my clients know probably almost as much about me as I know about them because I share my examples and I tell them right off. I love my awesomeness and I love my flossomeness. Like I don't, mm. I show up without any masks. I love myself and I don't have to be perfect and you don't have to like me or, you know, I'm just, I'm at that place. And I know that's not an easy place for people to get to. And I'm sure my age has a lot to do with it, but I'm there. And so I can, and also having grown sons who love to mock you out all the time. So, (laughs) you know, you don't really, you can't get too big ahead with my kids. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I feel that, we're all on this journey and we all mirror each other and we all have a lot to learn. And the thing that separates the successful people from the not successful people are that the successful people just didn't quit. Mm. And that the unsuccessful people, they could be quitting one day before they were going to be successful and they quit. And the successful people, they just don't quit. They just keep going. They keep reevaluating. They keep picking themselves up. They keep retrying and they just don't quit. They're the energizer bunny, you know, they're the energizing bunny, right? <laughs> you know, and it's cool. You mentioned about the being okay with not everyone liking you because I got to this point about, it was really the beginning of the pandemic when it finally clicked into like a heart level where I honestly realized, I said, listen, there's seven and a half billion people on the planet. When you speak to everyone, you're heard by no one. So really it all, it all switched because then it was like, how fast can I put myself out there in a way that's going to make people not like me? Right. Because I'd rather die on the hill for something I truly believe in than try to people please, you know, because people pleasing leads to disease. Right. And yeah. and I was the biggest one, you know, a people pleaser to the ultimate max. And that came from childhood and all sorts of fun stuff that came out uh, over the last couple of years of doing this work. And, uh, you know, 
I always say to people, I say there's seven and a half billion people on the planet. Try to get as many people out of the way as possible because can you, can you like, can you imagine trying to help seven and a half billion people? It's like, that's not going to happen. But what will happen, right. Is empowering other people to realize, Hey, I have, I get this many people. I can help this many people. You can help that many people and turn everyone on, right? Click the light bulb on to help them realize that no matter if you want to be a coach or put a label on your thing, you still can help someone just by smiling at them. Your smile that you give them in line can stop them from committing suicide that day. You know, it can help them not feel alone. And so like, that's what I love telling people is, yeah, like, there's people that love specializing in this stuff, but everyone has a little bit of coach in them. Everyone has a little bit of guide and mentor in them. And I think that's one of the most beautiful gifts that being a coach has been able to give the people I work with. It's like, listen, you can, you can do your own little things of this, right? Like the things that you learn, you can then take those into the world exactly. and allow it to give the world love, you know? Yeah. And it's so beautiful. I, I coach my, yeah. When I coach my, my, my clients, I'm like, do this with your kids. You know, yes. this is the conversation to have with your children so that you're, you're making it go forward and you're, you know, yeah, for sure, for sure. Absolutely. And it's like the paying it forward thing, right? Like, you know, you don't have to go out and put a label on you that you're a coach or whatever, unless you're really interested in doing that, but you can still pay for someone's meal in line and just do it because it makes you feel right. good, right? Like right. do it because it's, you know what it could do for them. And, you know, this brings me to a great point because, you know, for the person listening to this right now who is currently feeling anxious, feeling small, feeling unsure of themselves, what advice would you give them short of reading the book, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Short of reading the book, you know, because it's an amazing book, guys. You have to get it to allow them to take charge of life and become bigger, better and braver. Get quiet enough to hear what it is you would like to do. Mm. So. If you get quiet enough and you ask the right questions, you know, with, will this propel me forward or will it keep me stuck in my story or stuck in my past? What's the one thing if you could, if you were brave enough, what is the one next thing you would like to do? What would make you feel better about yourself? I love that. And that, I mean, that's the best advice you could possibly give because really that's just a repeatable process at any moment that will allow someone to figure out, okay, maybe you don't want to look 10 steps ahead, but as long as you can figure out the next step and trust, right, right. that it will be there, just take the leap, right? Another great subject in your book, just take the leap, take messy action, just be okay with coloring outside the lines, you know, and not yeah. knowing if it's going to work, right? It's just life. No That's one gets exactly out alive, <laughs> you know? That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And if you've got a fixed mindset, let it go. Try yes. something. Get messy. Yeah. Get messy. Yeah. Don't care about the outcome. Yes. The juice is in the journey. Yes. I love that. Nancy, this has been so much fun, you know, and I'm curious, where can I send people to find the book, to buy the book, to connect with you and potentially even work one-on-one with you? Well, everything can be on my website. So nancypicardlifecoach.com. Do you, you do show notes? Yes. So I also have a giveaway of the first chapter of my book. So I'll send you that link. Cool. Follow me on Instagram. Come find me on uh, Clubhouse. Follow me on Facebook. DM me on Instagram that you want to do a free discovery call. I offer a free call to anybody and everybody. So it's really good just to see, is this something that would work for you or not work for you? And you can get my book on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, anywhere books are sold. Awesome. And I know we chatted about a similar subject, the same, same, but different one. But I have one more question for you. If you're up for it, Nancy, what do you say? Go for it. All right, cool. So if someone listening could only make one change to highly optimize their life, what would Nancy Picard suggest that change be? I think it's the same question. I think it's just don't let fear be in charge. Mm. So if you can stop being the general manager of your life and know that the universe is there to support you, then take fear by the hand. You're never going to get rid of it. So People wait to be in a fearless state to move. And I got news for you, you know, note to self, you will never be in a fearless state. So you have to just have faith. Your faith has to be stronger than your fear. And 
when you take faith by the hand and you move forward anyway, you will feel so great about yourself just in the doing of that, that it doesn't even matter what the outcome is. I love that. That's beautifully said. And guys, when I met Nancy, it was immediately apparent to me that she had an immense passion for life. Her energy and confidence is infectious in nature, and it's no surprise why her book has gone on to be a bestseller and helped countless individuals take the reins back to their lives. Nancy is a living testament to what can happen when we consciously choose to become the creator of our lives and allow our challenges in life to make us rather than break us. If you are currently finding yourself challenged in life, spinning your wheels, or feeling disempowered, waste no time in purchasing the book to get yourself unstuck and to get the first day of the rest of your life started today. Nancy, thank you so much once again for stopping by to share your time, wisdom, and love with us today. And until next time, journey well. Be well. Much love over to you. Namaste. What is up, everybody? I hope you are all enjoying the show, and I wanted to stop by real quick and share a little bit about our latest podcast sponsor, Freedom Builders. Now, Freedom Builders are a team of graphic designers, website creators, videographers, social media marketing experts, and coaches that build out your custom online business from A to Z. This is a done-for-you service, which means they do the work for you while you get to put your focus back on what you love most, which is coaching your clients and bringing in sales. Now, as a former online fitness coach, Mike knows where your struggle points are and exactly how to help you overcome them. This is why he created Freedom Builders, so that you can scale your business while protecting your time and your energy. Now, you guys know that delegation is a business superpower, and you can activate this superpower today by scheduling a complimentary call with Mike at freedombuilders with a z on the end.com so you can start building the freedom that allows you to take your business to the next level. Alex and I recently connected with Freedom Builders for our Connect with Cannabis build out and we could not have been happier with the results. With Mike and his team, they were able to go through an outline and create a personalized program for our experience, develop our brand identity, build and design a custom branded webpage, professionally edit our program video content, custom design all of our slide presentations, automate our email marketing sequences, create a seamless payment system for our offer, design unique infographics for our social media content, and guide us through our proven launch blueprint to generate organic leads through our social media. So if you're a coach, facilitator, or healer listening to this ad right now, and you are looking to put freedom back into your life, once again, go to freedombuilders, with a Z on the end, .com and book your complimentary call today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of the show, and I'm wishing you the best day ever.